podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello there, I'm Tony Gow and you are listening to We Are West Ham Podcast. Listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards, and James Jones. And I don't know about you, but supporting West Ham is getting exasperating. Somehow we thrashed, whipped, it's destroyed Champions League hopefuls Wolves 4 0 at home. I think it's our joint highest ever winning margin at the London Stadium. No one saw it coming. I certainly didn't see it coming. None of us did on the predictions last week. Dan from the Wolves 77 podcast didn't see it coming. No one saw it coming. Whether it was David Moyes being at home, Alan Irving, football managing genius, no one really knows. But lads, brilliant to see you again. I'm not sure about you. Everyone else was pretty thrilled with it on Twitter. I'm just absolutely worn out of trying to keep up with this football club. Glad to see you both again. It's been a while. Wonderful to speak to you both after a league win. First one of the season, of course. James, how are you? I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm slightly jealous of your tan. You're still in Portugal. It's not bad, is it? Um, and, and your very loud shirt. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm great. I still can't believe what happened Sunday night, as you said. Uh, thought we might nick it on the night, but never saw 4-0 in a million years and um, yeah it's just uh, made waking up on Monday morning much easier than it has been for a while Absolutely yeah I uh, just in case you were wondering for those of you watching on YouTube or who haven't watched on YouTube yet more importantly I think the boys will probably agree that this week is the one to do I decided to extend my stay in Portugal lucky enough to be able to work remotely and after hearing weather reports from England and the quarantine potential I was facing I decided it would be best to spend another week in the sun of the Algarve but with that of course comes some very wafty holiday shirts so if you haven't already uh, logged on to the We Are West Ham YouTube channel to watch me and the boys because we've launched it this season and all of the podcasts and the records are available to watch in full on YouTube uh, I think this week is probably the one to do it just to see the state of this shirt that I am wearing and the link for that the link for the YouTube will be in the description of the podcast for this week. Thomas Edwards, not quite as tanned. I'm, I took all of this as inspiration from you when you broadcasted and did the We Are West Ham show from Ibiza. I must admit, Oliao in Portugal, not quite as exotic or party heavy, but uh, it's all come from you, mate. How are you? Very good, mate. Like James he said, I'm a little bit jealous of uh, that tan. I'd have to be out there a few months to come back looking at bronze pal. But... Um, yeah, mate, all good. It's a lot easier the next week after win, I'm not going to lie to you. And we were, you could not be thrilled. I don't get me wrong, the morning after, I was like, what happened? It feels like a, a dream. And now it's all back to reality that we haven't signed anyone, all this, and that the negativity was coming immediately. But, mate, very happy. What a performance. What a performance. That's why I sport West Ham for days like that. And it's made this week a lot easier. Absolutely. Now, I don't want to turn it to a negative straight away because before in the past, me and James have done shows, especially in the height of the uh, fan dissatisfaction and the board protests, all that sort of stuff. We've done shows and we've got odd results in amongst all the negativity. Me and James have been quick to say, 
look, one win doesn't change everything. It obviously takes the heat off a bit. But at the moment, I just, I don't know about you two, but I just feel like reveling it for a bit. I'm not in denial at all that this changes anything that's happened at the club. But it was, we didn't scrape it. We won 4 0, didn't we? We beat Wolves 4 0. Mm. And albeit they were off, and you can see, well, I feel certainly they probably are a little bit of a weaker team uh, without those big players, Yotta and Doherty, that they've let go this summer. The new lads will obviously take a bit of time to bed in. But I really don't really care for semantics tonight, James. We won 4 0. I can't believe it. It doesn't really matter who you play, does it? Yeah, no, Bob. My head's telling me to just. Don't get too carried away, but my heart's just going, yeah. My body, my body. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just pop open a, the bottle of champagne and let's let's enjoy it. I think, you know, we don't we haven't had a moment like that for a while, have we? Um, even at the beginning of last season when we'd beaten Man United and we were getting a bit excited then before it all went wrong when Fabianski got injured. Um it it still didn't really touch on on the feeling that we that, that particularly I had on on Sunday. It was like almost like shock. And, you know, where the hell did that come from? We're meant to be a club in complete disarray, both on and off the pitch. Um, we're not meant to be beating clubs like Wolves 4-0. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. It's like, hang on, you, hang on, you shouldn't be doing that. We do. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. It is only one result. But I saw someone tweet the other, the other night, um, if you include cup games, we've actually only had one bad performance out of five this season. Mm. You know, okay, we've been yeah. two... Two League One don't clubs. Run, don't run me up already, James. Yeah, don't, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, but he, I, I thought when I, when I saw that, I thought, do you know what? Actually, no, it's true. You know, we, yeah, we were poor against Newcastle, but we've we've easily beaten uh, two cup sides. You know, with second string sides, really, um, we're very unlucky against Arsenal the week before, and then we've 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 brushed aside Wolves. So. Um, th- there might be reason to be positive moving forward, but we have to keep our feet on the ground. Maybe, um, <laughs> maybe we'll uh, we'll come cra- go, come crashing back down to earth against Everton in the cup, but we'll see. Don't start, don't start all that positivity now, Josie. I'm I'm loving this this week. I started it last week, and you two were all oh, no, well, well. How many points have we got after the Arsenal game? I'm not having it. <laughs> I'm not having to take the positive banner off of me. This week, absolutely not. Not you either, Edwards, that is for sure. Look, before I get uh, the thoughts of the boys, we'll go into the Wolves game in a bit more detail. I've already decided tonight there's going to be a positive show, whether we like it or not. We've got a revel in a 4-0 win. We're through to the next round of the cup. And as the time of recording, it's still 24 hours until we kick off against Everton in that League Cup game that Jonesy was talking about. So there's still time to be cheery then. If you're one of those people who listen to the podcast later in the week and we've been slapped 6-0, well, I'm sorry about that. I uh, We can't help it. But as of Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, me and the lads are still buzzing. Bit of housekeeping as usual. The Fantasy Premier League, we are West Ham League, is still going. Um, Edwards, I'll talk to you about that in a minute. The code, for those of you who don't know already, is lowercase cny 6 OU, uh, you can still join up to that. I think in excess of four to five hundred, um, we've got. We'll have a few shout-outs for those. Uh, the leader of the We Are West Ham League at the moment, Jonesy, having his customary tragic start to a fantasy football season. Tom, I believe you're doing even worse. As we've already mentioned, subscribe to the We Are West Ham YouTube channel when you can watch where you can watch every single one of our shows uh, that we record over Zoom. The link to that 
is in the podcast description below, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever. Click on this episode that you're already listening to, go into the description, and you'll find the link to our YouTube channel there. Or you can have a look at my wafty shirt and James's shirt in honor of the DT38 Dylan Tombidi's foundation, for whom he is playing in our Betway charity bets this week. Jonesy, you'll have more on that later. Tom, I'm going to come to you momentarily for an update on the Fantasy Premier League. But what we've got coming up on the show today is we're going to that Wolves game even more, obviously. Moisey stayed at home. Alan Irving took charge. Stuart Pearce was on the phone to him regularly in the stands. King Arthur is back and firing, and I am absolutely delighted to see that. So we'll talk about that. We'll go into the Betway charity bets. No winners again from either of us, agonisingly close once again. But as we've already said, who saw a 4-0 win coming? So I think you can be, uh, give, cut me and the boys some slack. We're going to some headlines, a bit of a quiet week news-wise. Ryan Fredericks' injury. David Sullivan gave an interview to TalkSport, get some reaction from the boys on that. We'll do a transfer section again, same as last week. We obviously haven't signed anyone. No one's left either. We'll do a quick run through the random set of names that West Ham are being linked with and will likely never sign. We'll look ahead to the Everton game in the Carabao Cup briefly. That kicks off Wednesday night. We'll have opposition view with Josh Jones, Sun Sport journalist and Leicester City fan to look at the Premier League game that West Ham have on Sunday at the King Power Stadium. We'll go to the Twitter poll where we've asked the We Are West Ham listeners what they thought. Sebastian Haller or Mikel Antonio to start up front against Leicester. Or as some people have said, both of them. Name that game is back. I'm the quiz master this week. Uh, Jamesy, Joan, Jonesy even with an impressive lead so far. Me and Tom got some ground to make up. And of course, we'll wrap up with the West Ham women's segment and international roundup for a lot of the girls who are in action and a really moving piece from the Squad Goals documentary from, from Captain Jilly Flaherty. So, loads to cover, as always, lads. Tom, I will go to you first mm. before we dig into the Wolves game. Fantasy Premier League, we've touched on it so far in uh, the show. Fans can still join that. Um, I've had an average start. I'm on holiday, so I forgot to do it for the first time this season. That will be a pattern that I repeat. Left the Bamiyang's captain for Liverpool away. Stink up. Somehow... I'm still beating the two of you. You are having a particularly bad time, Tom. It's just not been my week, mate. I don't, I don't actually know if I am last out of us. I reckon it's close, but um, it's not been good, mate. It's not been good. 34 points this week. Obviously, as you do, you stick Cody in there just expecting a little most guaranteed clean sheet of the weekend for Wolves. But West Ham have done him, so I'm delighted with that one, to be fair. But yeah, mate, Watkins, Mitrovic, they're all in here. I thought they'd get a bit of something in that game, but it's, it's just not clicking for me at the minute. Zaha is pretty much a one-man team. Suchek getting a gobbled out didn't help either. Bloody hell. <laughs> well, he still got an assist for it, to be fair, didn't he, Jones? That was quite a, that was quite a measured list of excuses for Tom there while he's having a, while he's having a stinker um, out on the podcast. You... I have a shocker again, but I made the mistake of taking the mickey out of you for a bad start last season. Yeah. Back to bite me. However, you have played your wild card already. Yeah, um, I've had, I've, I'm on the back of three very, very consistently good seasons. Um, one of which I ended up finishing like the top 6,000 in the world. Um, so I don't know whether the start of this season has been a little bit, maybe a little bit of cockiness for me. I don't know, but um, currently sitting with 137 points, an overall rank of just under 4 million. Um, and I panicked 
going into game week three and play my wild card um, just to try and shoe on a City player in there at the very least and uh, pick the wrong City player in Raheem Sterling. Rubbish against Leicester. Um, brought Suchek and Jimenez in. Obviously, that whole debacle over Jimenez's own goal and Suchek having it ruled out completely messed me up. Uh, and I had Son as captain, which says all you need to know about how my season's going on fantasy football. But I'm, <laughs> I'm notoriously a slow starter um, and I'm sure I'll catch you both up soon. Well, 137 points, James is on. I'm on 171. Tom, I haven't got yours in front of me. 146. 146. That does put Jonesy at the bottom, but just uh, just eight points. Yeah, I think that's correct math. No, nine points. Nine points in it between you two. And then I'm a little bit further ahead on 171. Not great stuff. Just a quick shout out. I know not everyone listening will do fantasy football, uh, so we won't dwell on it too much each week. But at the moment, Rudy Eagling. Uh, with a team named Moyes Mavericks, is leading the We Are West Ham podcast fantasy league at the moment on an impressive 224 points. So fair play to Rudy. And uh, yeah, if you want to join, use that code that we mentioned just now. But let's go to proper football. West Ham have won 4-0. It used to be my granddad's favourite bet every week when he'd go. And the only one I can really remember is the Marlon Hayward hat-trick home to Aston Villa back at Upton Park. What a game, what a performance, what a team. Uh, are we going to finish in Europe, Tom Edwards? Uh, mate, don't get me started. Don't get the feels going. But no, what a performance. Exactly like you said, we did what Wolves have been brilliant at for the last two seasons to themselves. We just went out and then we beat them with physicality direct in the month three and we just were clinical. Like we said last week, we were saying that we had that game against Arsenal if we just started to take chances or a bit more positive in certain areas. And it's exactly what we were. Bowen was brilliant. He took his both his goals. Really clever finishes, both of them, particularly the first. He's, that's exactly what I sort of was saying that he's capable of. That's first goal where he does drive in and he does what Yarmolenko's made a career out of and he starts putting him in the net like he did at Hull. And it was, it was a really positive day all round. Haller off the bench, nicking one. It was just brilliant, mate. And we outplayed him in 4-0. It could have been more. And, and who would have thought that last weekend on the pod? I definitely didn't. Well, funny you mention it, Tom, actually, because one of us did. One of us was full of, well, no, actually. I thought we'd win, but <laughs> 4 0 no. I didn't think we were going to beat Wolves. But um, that is my next note on the, uh, on the running order for tonight. I'm delighted to be able to throw it to James Jones, in fact. Um, I'll, I'll read out exactly my, my note. Uh, Wolves, wow, is everyone going to apologise to Will after he had to fight against the tide of negativity after the Arsenal performance? Jonesy, I will grant you that I did still uh, predict a West Ham defeat, I believe. I predicted a win as well. Remember that. Yeah, I think we went with a draw. However, I was I was trying to take some positives from the Arsenal performance last week. You two were not having it at all. Um, are you willing to issue a written apology, just verbal, or how do you want to go about um, righting the wrongs? Um, no apology for me, mate. No, 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 because as as we've already said, it could all go terribly, terribly wrong But this time next week and we could be uh, back to where we started this season. But yeah, I mean, fair play, you, you, were, you were positive, um, yeah, better than better than Tom and I last week. But no, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I still, as I said before, I, I can't believe it. And it, it does seem as though we've, we've fallen on... Moyes has stumbled across a formation that, that might just work this season, given the squad he's got. I think he may have realised that we're not going to be able to strengthen as much as he, 
you could do. Uh, but that five at the back um, seems to seems to be working a treat. Obviously, two really, really good performances. Um, only three points, though, which is annoying. Um, I'm going to just rule that one in a little bit, but we could have had a point yeah. at least at Arsenal. Um, and, you know, to go to Arsenal and, and lose in the last, what, three or four minutes um, is, you know, you're still, still pretty good given the performance we put in and then to follow that up with, with Sunday's result and performance even better. And the fact that David Moyes weren't even in the stadium, was sitting at home watching it on Zoom or whatever, chatting to um, <laughs> Piercy on the phone. It, yeah, it's, um, it's, it just makes it even more bizarre that we even managed to put some sort of evening like that on when the manager weren't even there. Um, but yeah, it, it seems as though something's beginning to happen, but we've got to strengthen between now and Monday, the transfer window closing. Um, otherwise, you know, we can't count on five at the back all season. Uh, particularly with Ryan Fredericks and his glass legs, mm. um, but yeah, um, so to see, I keep, I keep being, I keep the negativity keeps coming back to me. Yeah, it wants to creep um, out. It, just, it keeps like, biting at me, but no, I'm going to try and stay positive from moving forward. Excellent. Well, I did what I did like to see was the return of the landline, Stuart Pierce with a uh, with yeah. recorded phone. Quality. Love and that. I'm just imagining Moisey at home. He doesn't strike me as the sort of bloke to mess around with cordless phones, does he? I'm no. still imagining <laughs> that old school, 90s. One of those ones, you know, like the it's cable. Built, but the, it's got a built-in fax machine. Yeah. Built-in fax <laughs> machine, just in case. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Big numbers on the keypad, just so you can see if his eyes yeah. go, yeah. <laughs> Proper. Um, now, Jonesy, you mentioned there, um, as everyone who's a long-time listener to the We Are West Ham podcast will know, I'm not one to gloat about things, and you know, if I'm ever right, I don't like to bring it up or mention it again. You mentioned that David Moyes has stumbled across uh, that formation, the five at the back with Arthur Masawaka, who was outstanding at the weekend. Um, I'd just like to play you this clip quickly, and everyone at home will be able to listen as well from a few weeks back before the season started. Well, listen, what, what about this? Just to shake things up a bit. And I genuinely do think I would not be disappointed if this was the way Moyes lined up at all. Five at the back, like I said. And then I think you do. I think you put Masuaku in there um, because I think that's where his best position is. I think he works best. He's played his best football at West Ham as a left wing back. And he's posted a load of photos on his Instagram over the summer of him working hard when everyone else is on holiday. So that basically means he's going to be absolutely outstanding next season um, no but I have um, James I don't know if you know that that's actually the rules when footballers post uh, videos of themselves working hard in the gym over the summer that means they're going to be really good next year right all oh, right yeah yeah that's sorry right. I didn't, didn't realize you didn't know that but that is how it works so yeah I mean there it is you say Moyes has stumbled across the formation Josie we've had uh, Declan Rice we're pretty sure listens to the podcast we think Jared Bowen listens to the podcast as well uh, it's become apparent that at least one of uh, David Moyes' coaching staff be it Alan Irving or Stuart Pearce or Kevin Nolan uh, listen to the pod but maybe Moyes himself and he's just heard what I've got to say five at the back ask for Masawaka and Ryan Fredericks no problem at all that's all you've got to do you make a good point mate I think um, I'm, I'm beginning to wonder whether it was actually you on the other end of the phone the other night because <laughs> uh, you just seem to get everything right. Are you David Moyes in disguise? <laughs> he wouldn't wear a shirt like this. No chance. <laughs> Definitely not. No. <laughs> he put it off. Tom, uh, Moyes, he stayed at home, obviously. Um, he was having some impact on the game, yeah. albeit through the phone. Uh, Issa Diop didn't play either. 
I'm struggling mm. to think of who we missed <laughs> um, least, to be honest. You know, everyone, Diop, certainly our last best uh, defender. Um, the season before last, mm. left a lot to be desired last year. Um, didn't miss him at all, really. I, I do think the, excuse me, I do think the formation obviously helps with that because a mm. playing five at the back takes the defensive responsibility off of off of everyone, that position suits Cresswell, um, but didn't really, did, did you think it affected the team at all without, or who do you think it affected, like, who, what affected mm-hmm. us more? Is it Diop missing or Moyes? I think um, neither. I Honestly, nothing. I think Moyes had done his work in the week, presumably. It's obviously him who picked the team. It's him who gets the tactics out there. You have, what, 15 minutes before they go out, 15 minutes at halftime. It's, it's, it's a tough job to actually impact the game once you've thrown out system and players to do they're only the very best in the business to do that and he obviously did the hard work in the week so I think Moyes was as much as he wasn't there and it's obviously comical he was on the phone he's obviously he's done a good job this week as for Diop I think um, for the last six months he's been a bit of a liability he, he tends to dive in he gets caught high up the pitch and he's had a bad six months of football he, he is obviously a supremely talented centre-half there's a reason why Mourinho said what he said about him but He's had a tough six months. Sometimes it's good to be out the side. And I think that Balbuena surprised me. Came in, dealt with the pace. I think, like you say, he had more cover. Cresswell was on the ball pretty good in that position. He can open up a bit more. He gives it to good, gives it in good positions to midfielders and uh, seemed to suit us. But Diop will get back in that side for sure. It's just we need the best Diop because he's been off the ball for the last six months. Yeah, Josie, you mentioned there, you know, as soon as we can go back to a four, would you be really adverse to staying as a five all season? Because I certainly wouldn't. I think we've got the attacking players to who they don't, they almost don't need that extra, the extra man with them. I think they're good enough to create spaces like that, especially with the wingers or the wing backs bombing on. Um, I don't know. You, you so say so as if it's just a matter of time until we go back. But why would you, why would you go back? Even if we bring another centre half in, why would you revert back to a system that suited Moyes well the last in his first spell at the club and appears to be doing so again? I mean, I, I think Suchek and the way that Suchek plays in that midfield probably allows for us to play that that system more than more than probably we could do. I mean, he because he gets up and down quite easily um, it means that we don't need that extra man in midfield because he can get, get about the midfield a little bit easier um, I wouldn't be that adverse to, to seeing us um, to seeing us play the whole season it's just we haven't I don't know whether we've got the squad depth in, in defence for it to to, to, to work all season we, I mean th- this next week is going to be very very important for us to be able to bring those players in um, it, we're one or two injuries away in defence for, for us having to go back to, to what, what wasn't working before. Um, but, you know, it, it seems to be working. The player seems to be buying into it and um, long may that continue. And, you know, if it's going to continue working, even if it means that, you know, we're not going to beat everyone 4-0 every week. Um, but, you know, if it's just going to add a little bit of stability um, and, you know, we're, we're creating chances in that system, you know, as long as we're creating chances, goals are going to come and then we're going to get points on the board. Absolutely. And it was a fantastic performance from one of my favourite West Ham players at the moment, if not the favourite, King Arthur Masuaku. And one thing that I thought was hilarious, um, I'd like to launch an investigation among the We Are West Ham uh, listeners and watchers 
of the podcast and the show on YouTube because the King Arthur tag that we, uh, or that me in particular, um, that then we've been using on the We Are West Ham podcast first surfaced as a title to one of our podcasts in the middle of 2019. But me and my friends among my friendship group have been calling him King Arthur for as long as I can remember. And I checked um, in my, uh, on my phone history to see the first mention of King Arthur and when it was amongst my friend group. And we, me and my friend, uh, Quizmaster Reese, in fact, um, was the, me and him were the first ones to mention it. And it was December 2017 in a WhatsApp group talking about how much we love King Arthur Masuaku. So I'd like to launch an investigation because both Arthur Masuaku himself and now the We Are West, uh, sorry, now the West Ham official Twitter account are using the hashtag King Arthur in their tweets. It was a great uh, sort of moment, if you like, for me and my mates. But just before I take, we take all the glory for it, we've obviously pumped it as well on We Are West Ham. Masuaku's interacted with a few of our tweets that have uh, been tagged as King Arthur and he's got in on the hype as well. Uh, but I just want to see if there's anyone listening at the moment or watching who has called Arthur Masuaku King Arthur uh, among their friendship group as well. And if they can find any evidence uh, proving that they used the term before December 2017 to email it to wearewestampod at gmail.com or tweet us the proof at we are underscore West Ham because uh, I don't think there's too much more or much more important things um, that people can be spending their time on at the moment to find out who was the first one to come up with the phrase King Arthur Masuaku because that certainly was a performance fit for a royal as I'm sure you all agree James it really pains you to I know we'll wrap up this first segment really swiftly but you hate it don't you you just hate King Arthur doing well no, I don't. No, I love it. I do love it. Um, the whole King Arthur thing, just yeah, it, 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 I think it proves that the entire squad listened to the podcast on the Thanks. team bus on the way to games. <laughs> yeah, um, because Jared Bowen's reacted to what what Tom was saying about him last week with two goals. Um, you know, Masuaku's interacted with us in the past, and suddenly King Arthur's now a trending topic. Um, and yeah. It, it, it has to be us. They, they, they listen to us on the in the change rooms or on the bus, and they're, they're they're taking all of our all of your advice. We're on board at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, shout out to the whole squad, um, but in particular, I think uh, tip of the hat to uh, King Arthur. Um, but stick with us because we'll cover loads more fantastic performance from Masuaku at the weekend. Uh, we'll cover the Betway. Charity bets next. No winners again, but long live the king. So me and the lads remain loyal subjects of King Arthur Masuaku. One thing, though, this week we had the Betway charity bets. West Ham winning 4-0 was positive for most who support West Ham up and down the country, all across the world, of course. Same as everyone who listens to the We Are West Ham podcast, no doubt. However, me, James and I, on our new segment, we've partnered up, and Tom, of course, partnered up this season with Betway 
uh, for a fun little segment as part of the show and raising money for some West Ham related charities. Betway kindly donating a £50 stake or giving us a £50 stake to bet on the West Ham game each week. Three selections, me and the lads pick, and any winnings at the end of the season go to we've all chosen to play for. I'm playing for the Bobby Moore Fund. Uh, Tom, of course, is playing for Isla's Fight and James is playing for DT38, the Dylan Tom Beadies Foundation. No winners still from last week. Jonesy, you've got some stuff to tell us about DT38 later on. Before we do that, let's just cover what happened again. It was agonisingly close again. No one saw the 4-0 coming and that has reflected in our bets as well. Jonesy, last week you had both teams to score over 1.5 goals and over 4.5 West Ham corners. I had over 1.5 goals, over 5.5 total corners and over 0.5 bookings for each team. Tom had West Ham to win, both teams to score and Ryan Fredericks to be carded. Both close in our own way, Jonesy. Me and you getting stumped on the on the corners. There was a surprisingly low amount the week before against Arsenal. I think there was something like nine in the game. So I thought, oh, I'll go nice and safe. That's a shoo-in. I think the game finished four corners or something in total. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not impressive. I, I you obviously didn't get the BT the both teams to score. Uh, you got the over one point five goals and you didn't get over four and a half West Ham corners. You missed out on two. Uh, I got the over one and a half goals. Didn't get the over five point five corners or the over zero point five bookings each team. Wolves got one semi early, so I thought happy days. Ryan Fredericks as Tom bet for as well to get booked. Yeah. I thought that's that's an absolute shoe in. No way we don't get a yellow here. Here comes the money and it just didn't. <laughs> play out like that at all. Tom, You, I thought you were mental having West Ham to win last mm. week. That proved right. Both teams to score. As Jonesy had, I don't think any. I think if you'd have said before, that's not going to win. We'd have said it's because West Ham exactly. had a little bit unlucky last week, lads. I think we all went on the uh, on the cautious side a little bit. Jonesy, were you surprised to see how it played out in the end? Yeah, I mean, to be one Wolves goal and one corner away from from winning some some money for DT thirty eight was was pretty gutting, especially given that I think my one was was so safe it was three to one. Yours was even safe. Yours was evens. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was like, surely we're gonna have some money in the bank here, but um, fine margins, isn't it? And um, talking to to Chad earlier, and he's he's urging for us to Chad at Betway, urging for us to go for the bigger ones, which Tom's been doing. Every yeah. single week, yours was sixteen to sixteen to one last yeah. week, Tom, and just as close as, as Will and I were mm. in the end. So, um, so yeah, I think we're gonna have to, we've, we've gone a little bit bigger this week, but that's so just so desperate just to get that first win. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's playing on my mind a lot. Like we're three weeks yeah. in, I've I've designed that that league table which totals up the winnings every week. We can't even put that out yet because it's embarrassing. <laughs> um, that's just sort of sitting collecting dust on my external hard drive in my drawer. Um, yeah, so hopefully people will be able to see that soon. Tom, Ryan Fredericks obviously came off injured. Mm. Uh, he's got a hamstring injury. Looks like he's going to be out until after the international break. Um, you were sort of banking on him getting a yellow. This week, you've uh, you've gone both teams to score again. This for the Leicester game on Sunday. Mm. You've gone both teams to score again, over 2.5 goals. And over two point five cards. Are you uh, you sort of a little bit more confident about that? Leicester are pretty free flying at the moment. 
I can't lie, lads. When uh, when we went two nil, three nil up, I was thinking, and Fredericks was on. I was thinking we got. I've got a real chance here because the chances of them nicking one and making it nerve at the end's pretty likely, if not definitely, happening. And then Fredericks was getting run around. By the end, he was absolutely knackered. You can tell he was going to dive in, and I just thought, forty eighth minute, and then he's hooked. And I thought, bloody hell, he's here. We go. Here we go. This week, mate. Um, there's always goals and there's always cards in the games you play against, and there always seems to be a penalty here. Something going on. Vardy tends to get in a bit of trouble with Ogbonna. They've had a few battles down the years. So I'm hopeful. I think I played it a little bit more safe this week. But like you say, lads, we just want that first one and then we laugh him. Exactly. I don't want to. I don't want to have to. When that board goes live with the first money on it, I don't want it uh, to have a zero yeah, against yeah. my name. That's for sure. So Tom, you've got both teams score over 2.5 goals and over 2.5 cards total in the game. You'd hope. That was a shoo-in if the odds aren't that big. Jonesy, Jared Bowen, two shots on target, over 2.5 total goals and both teams to score. You're sticking on the Jared Bowen hype? Yeah, I was looking at his uh, attacking stats for the last three games and um, I think he, he averages three shots a game. Um, weirdly enough, he's, he's only two on target this season where those two goals. But um, I think I think as we were saying last week, he just needs, needed that confidence um, and I think getting those two goals will give him some confidence away at Leicester and, and moving forward. So I fancy him to to continue the form and, and at least get a couple on target. Yeah, well, Leicester are banging them in. So are we, apparently. So I've gone for over 2.5 goals, over 0.5 goals in each half and less than 5.5 total bookings. I can't see people throwing themselves around and there. Uh, Getting smashed up this weekend. I hope not to be proved wrong, but um, yeah, I, I'm just think pretty safe-ish again with that. Um, and yeah, just fingers crossed, one of us can get a little bit of money. Jonesy, you spoke to Dylan Tombidi's mum, Tracy, at the beginning of the season to tell her about the scheme. I hope you haven't uh, updated her with the fact that we haven't actually won any money for the charities yet, but we will do. It's still 35 weeks ago. So not worried on that front. Um, but yeah, you're chatting to her about some of the fundraising schemes they do over at DT38 as well. Yeah, I spoke to Tracy a few weeks back just to just sort of introduce myself and let let her know what what I was doing and what we were doing as a podcast for for our charities. And, and I'd chosen DT38 as my nominated charity. And um, I'd, I'd said that I wouldn't just help raise money, but also sort of raise awareness of um, the importance of men checking checking their testicles um regularly because you know it is a is a deadly deadly disease particularly if you don't catch it in time um so yeah it's just you know that they do a thing dt38 the first of every month they they urge people to to put their message out there and um and sort of urge people and, and men to to check their testicles on the first of every month um and as this is the last one before the first of october it was a good time to do that and um key thing to remember with Dylan's story is that um, he went to the to the doctor and the doctor said, oh no, it's, it, it's, it's nothing, don't worry about it. Um, and then three or four weeks later, he was away with Australia at the, the World Cup and um, failed a drugs test and they said, it's either you've taken an illegal substance or you've got a tumour. Um, and obviously it was the tumour and that's when he was diagnosed. But that three or four week gap between you know, being misdiagnosed and then eventually being diagnosed was essentially, um, you know, what what eventually he, he sort of fell to. So 
timings per you know timing is very very important with this and um it's important that you know men check first every month you know put it in your diaries check yourself in the shower whenever you feel comfortable and um if you do find something unusual then get it checked out and you know even go for a second opinion because it is important so um so yeah, make sure you do that and dt38 they're asking for just small donations three pound 80 um is all they're asking for obviously if you can do more then fine but obviously at the moment with the current climate finances might not be um you know people might not be as flush as they, they used to be but they're all they're asking is three pound 80 so um visit their their site dt38.co.uk and um give what you can uh it does mean a lot and um i'll be spreading the word throughout the season while I try and raise some money as well, hopefully anyway. So um, yeah, on the first, get yourself checked lads. Excellent. Excellent. So that's uh, yeah. If the, if you can't find it online, it's DT 38, just search DT 38 foundation on Google. It's funny you say that James, um, you know, in the, in the sort of spirit of, of what the message you're trying to get out. I've, I've done it before. I, I, I sort of make a habit of checking anyway. I found something uh, like a growth before went and had the scan you know, it's one of those things where you'd rather not have it done, but ultimately you, you sort of pull your shorts down a bit, flop them out, uh, mm. do a little ultrasound. And yeah, I was lucky, obviously, they, they told me it was just a harmless cyst or whatever and uh, that, that not to worry about it. But far better to check. I was a little bit concerned beforehand, but you go, uh, they sort it out. And it's always with any of those things, um, better to know one way or the other, isn't it? So great message. And like you say, hopefully we can carry on uh, or start perhaps raising some money for the good causes. Tom for Isla's Fight, me for Bobby Moore Fund and James for DT38. You can, of course, go and back our selections on the Betway website and app under the Bet Your Way, Build Your Own Bet uh, section of the Betway website. Our bets for the Leicester game will go up around Friday night. So uh, hopefully money on the board soon for me and the lads. Stay with us because we'll chat the headlines of the week next. Ryan Fredericks, hamstring injury out until the end of October, at least by the looks of it. David Sullivan, an interview he gave once again to TalkSport and the rapidly becoming laughable segment that we do on the We Are West Ham podcast is the transfers. Stay with us for all of that next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. Great work and a great message from Jonesy there about the DT38, Dylan Tombidi's foundation, who Jonesy is trying to earn some money for this season on the Betway Charity Bets. However, headlines of the week, lads, uh, other than winning 4-0, which is probably the biggest and most surprising news or the most surprising thing, that happened to West Ham. It's been a fairly quiet week. Um, obviously, it's transfer season, so it's West Ham. So obviously, it's going to be quiet. Ryan Fredericks, he pulled up um, in the Wolves game fairly early on. And the club have confirmed he's got a hamstring injury and is likely to be out until after the October international break. It seems a shame, given the new system that Moyes has been playing recently. Do you, Tom, sort of guide that he's... Uh, he's going to be out because he has been better um, or do you think you know what it might be a chance for perhaps Ben Johnson to come in or Ashby who played in the cup the other night to come in and uh, and stamp their mark on the team I think it's one of those like you say he's, he's definitely been a marked improvement since uh, we switched that five and he's playing as a wing back and 
for me, he made that position his own, and, and rightly so, he should have been the starting right back because um, his performances recently. However, I do think Bob Johnson's got potential. He's brilliant at the end of last season. I don't think there's a massive step down, shall we say, in ability between the two. And I think Johnson's probably got the highest ceiling. So it's not one of those I think is, is going to massively impact us and cause us massive dramas over the next couple of weeks because it's only the game he's out for anyway in the league, isn't he? Only missed about two games because of the international break. Was it a nice time for him? So... Should be all right, and maybe actually will force the board. It's another reason to go out, look at fullbacks, and potentially get a utility fullback who can play both positions because they're trying to penny pinch, and at least we can fill fill both slots in a way. And I think it might actually force us to go out and uh, actually put some money on a fullback in one way or another. Jonesy, sort of buy into what Tom's saying there, or do you, do you think that if nothing else uh, made the club go out and spend money, why should this? I think I think we have to. Um, it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, we're one or two injuries away from having to revert back that to, to our old formation that wasn't really working. You know, we need cover in those positions if we're going to play this system for the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, we've won right back fit and is relatively inexperienced, you know, and this isn't, Fredericks might come back for three or four weeks and get injured again, you know, his injury record at the club is pretty poor. Um so we, we need to go out and in the next week, uh, what, six days and, and bring in one or two players who can play in that position. Or as Tom said, you know, someone as a utility fullback that can play the side. Um, they, but the trouble is they're very rare. So they've got to spend some money. They've got to bring someone in, even if it's a loan, just some cover. Because um, otherwise, for another Frederick... Anyone? Yeah, exactly. You know, and Ben Johnson, I, I like him. He looks really promising. Um, but... You know, he's inexperienced and we can't rely on him to step in and, and have a, a, an amazing season and, and save the day for the next 35, 36 games. Like, you know, we just can't be unfair on him to do that. We need to, uh, to bring in a bit more experience and a bit more stability in, in those positions. So, um, yeah, uh, as we know, the, the squad are listening. David Sullivan's probably listening as well. So, Dave, sign someone, please. <laughs> just anyone. <laughs> I've heard Watford's right back. I can't remember his name. Ngaki or something. Apparently, he looks really tidy. Perhaps we could bring him in. Oh, don't. Who'd don't. have thought it, hey? He'd want, he'd want at least 20 grand a week, wouldn't he? So, uh, oh, yeah, peanuts, isn't it? No-brainer. Yeah, absolute no-brainer. So, you mentioned David Sullivan there, Jonesy, and he gave an interview this week to Jim White on TalkSport. It's widely sort of accepted or widely assumed shall we say that Jim White and David Sullivan are in fairly regular contact. Jim White in recent weeks has come out with a couple of stories on TalkSport, on his TalkSport show mid-morning, saying that, you know, he's from a source close to the board uh, and that they, they feel like they've been hung out to dry. A couple of occasions he has said that he's been in direct contact with one of the owners. So it's generally assumed that it is David Sullivan. Uh, the interview you gave this week, nothing really that new, really. The headlines saying that he can't sign anyone, that David Moyes doesn't want him to sign. He said he'd done that with the previous regime, as he's taken to calling him, uh, Manuel Pellegrini and Husselos, saying that he bought Fabianski and Diop without them knowing. Did you what, what else? What did you make of the interview, really? Just sort of saying much of a much of the usual stuff. I don't think he said anything that that surprised us really. I think 
Um, I, mean, I think a lot of us would have preferred him just not to speak at all, uh, given the, yeah. the, the, the general. Do you think that, though? Yeah, I think the general feeling amongst the amongst the fan base, like, and there is this gem, the, the, uh, an acceptance or at least a, an assumption that you know he's not going to deliver any any more players between now and Monday night. Um, uh, and for him to then come out and say, well. Um, you know, we, we might not sign anyone. We're, we're trying to get two or three in, but it might not even happen. Kind of told us everything that we, we kind of already knew. Um, it didn't, nothing groundbreaking. I think the only thing that stood out was that he half moaned that it was going to cost 50 grand to to go up to Everton and play, play in the cup. And it was like, well, yeah. I mean, what, why did you even say that? Like, it was just, it was just yeah, a yeah. ridiculous comment, which everyone, everyone picked up on it. Um, yeah, but- and it, it didn't do him any favours, is what I'm saying. Um, no, him doing that interview didn't do him any favors. It didn't strengthen the the perception that fans have of him or the rest of the board, um, and yeah. it didn't say anything to to really reassure the fans that everything's okay, everything's under control. We're going to be okay. We're going to sign X, Y, and Z or whatever. Which is why I why I and I'm sure a lot of other fans would have just rather him just not come on and done that interview. I think it did him more harm than good. Um, in the eyes of the fans, really, even though he didn't really say anything that we all kind of already didn't know. Okay, Tom, Tom, I will, I will throw mm. to you in a sec, but Jonesy, I just want to ask you one thing then. Is he not damned if he does and damned if he doesn't? Because he gets loads of stick, all the, him in particular. I think the, the general feeling among fans is that, although it's GSB out, is the movement, I think the main... A lot of the anger is directed towards Sullivan and then Brady and then Gold in that order. I think it would be fair to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as coming out and speaking, I think fans get annoyed because every time he goes on talk sport, it's either, or if the, in the times he has in recent memory, it's been with either um, Ian Abrahams or Jim White. And there's a sense among fans that they both are, you know, friend not friends, but you know what I mean, like professional contacts, um, and that he gets that Sullivan gets an easy ride. Or Gold, David Gold did an interview with Moose earlier this year, and the the feeling after that, and and the same again, I think from Jim White is that he gets an easy ride. Now, to play devil's advocate here, um, do you think it is a bit damned if he do does damned if he doesn't, or what do you think he would get more respect if he was to come on to a platform like ours and do an interview of that kind with the three of us, for example, as opposed to TalkSport, where there is that feeling among fans, especially, that he is just, you know, he's got that positive, good relationship uh, with Jim White and, and the Moose as well, and that he's he's going to get that easier ride. Do I? Because I, I just think, is it damned if he does and damned if he doesn't? As far as coming out to speak goes, no, I, I disagree because you know we have the most vocal chairman in England, probably give or take one or two chairmen yeah, down in the lower leagues. Yeah. Um, definitely in the Premier League. Certainly, sorry, the Premier League for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that I think that's one thing that that gets a lot of fans' backs up is that, you know, the only time he ever comes out and speaks is when it's with the likes of Jim White or, or Ian Abrams on, on Talk Sport. Um, two, two broadcasters that, that have never criticised David Sullivan, Gold or, or Brady for 
for you know what the fans criticise them for and what they have done over the last few years particularly. Um, you won't find Jim White criticising David Sullivan. That's why David Sullivan will go on and do an interview with Jim White because he knows he'll get the easy ride, the easy interview. He won't be pressured into answering difficult questions, the questions that the fans want answered. Um, and yeah, you're right. You know, he would get a hell of a lot more respect if he came on to uh, a fans forum, like a podcast like this. I, I know that I think West Ham Fan TV have asked him numerous times to go on and he's declined every time, um, I'm led to believe. So, and it's probably had more other podcasts that have done the exact same thing and he's declined because he knows he'll get pressured. Uh, and I think that's why he's better off just not doing these interviews with TalkSport because he's not going to say anything that's going to go anywhere near repairing the, his rep, the, the reputation in the eyes of the fans. He's better off just staying away from the limelight, not doing these interviews if you're not going to do it with fans um, or other you know, broadcasters and um, just get on with the job in hand and that's signing some players and fixing West Ham United. Um, so yeah, that's the way I see it and I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not alone in that in that thought. Uh, I just think that you, you say he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Well, you know, yeah, but when you're coming on and just just saying stuff for the sake of saying stuff, what, what does it achieve really? What does it achieve? Well, that, that was my next point, and I'll throw this to you, Tom, um, mm. because, Jonesy, you said there, and you started all of that with the assumption that any of David Sullivan's thinking when he goes and gives interviews like that is to, is to appease fans. What, Tom, what do you think? Because mm. I don't think that's true, because, he, like you say, he knows uh, what the reaction will be. He knows fans will, will kick mm. back and say, why don't you field fans from a fan group rather than mm-hmm. someone who's perceived to be uh, a, you know, a good or a close contact of his. I think, I don't think that mm-hmm. the reason for those interviews can be to appease fans or to get a message to fans. Tom, what, what's your take on the whole thing? Yeah. It, it confuses me really. I'm, a, I'm sort mm-hmm. of a bit stuck in between. I don't begrudge Jim White or uh, Moose mm-hmm. who, you know, it's worth remembering Moose has got a, a column in the program. Mm. So that that will be, whether it's a paid one, I, I'm not sure, but it could be an income or it's certainly proof of a relationship with the club. And journalists have to have those. You, you know, mm. you can't... The Sky Sports News and Talk Sport wouldn't be the organisations they are with the listeners and the viewers in the millions if they didn't have positive relationships with clubs to get, you know, is it is a give and take process so what do you make of of those interviews Mm. tom because i think although james says it might not go the way he'd like if he was to come on uh the we are stand podcast for example or any fan forum as james mentioned Mm. there at least with some measured but deliberate and structured questions Mm. he, he might at least whether the answers were what fans would like he might at least garner a little bit more respect for at least fronting up do you think yeah, absolutely. And I think that when he goes on the, these big platforms, I'm, I'm a believer like Jonesy. And I think the reason he does it is, is for selfish reasons, mate. I think it's to do with the fact that he, he often comes and does it when he's just been on the back of poor press the weeks or months before and he's doing it to save his face and put over a, a sort of image to these broadcasters and sort of lend his olive branch to sort of show that he'll give him big material or give him big sound bites and sort of don't, don't oust him, give him that respect as in hit for him it's easy to go look we'll give you this massive thing which can draw over three four days of massive news off you as your platform and it's from you and 
will make you a lot of money or get whatever it is that comes in for them. So I think he's doing it to keep a relationship there in order for him to have a bit of saving of face in the press. And then secondly, about his actual interview, I thought it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as we've seen him. It wasn't as bad as we've seen him, but each time he comes on, he just doesn't come across as a particularly professional football man who is going to take a club to where a club like West Ham should be and that he's, his head's in the right space. And he says things like, um, but the last regime's, um, transfer window and transfer strategy was terrible and then in the same sentence he says we've got a brilliant starting three in the cup last night here all outstanding footballers Anson Halayamalenko all brought in by Pellegrini he says the press the week a few days before a Premier League game he says that he's depressed about the transfer window and you've got a whole club listening to that you've got a whole fan base listening to that that's not helping anyone in any aspect but I, yeah, I think it's mainly selfish reasons, but I think this is, is probably one of the few interviews I've heard him do where I really can't have anything too serious or too much of a problem because he's obviously not all bad. He's obviously got his reasons for doing it, but it just, Jones, it just made no sense as in it just feels like a pointless venture for him to do without without giving us anything. It's not like he had a big news story or a big signing or a big announcement about the stadium. It was just for his personal reasons to get a bit of airtime for whatever reason that he wanted. And we don't actually know because felt like mm. it was purposeless. But yeah. The, the woe be me line does confuse me somewhat. Yeah. Just, I, I think with statements like that, it just seems to, I, I don't know, alienate him to the fans even more. Not that he's bothered about that, to be honest. I don't, I don't think, mm. but I just, I don't think, you can log on to Twitter. I know Twitter's not the place to go to for your gauge, but there's mm. the amount of the fans marching in the thousands earlier in the season, or sorry, earlier in the year, that doesn't come from nowhere, does it? These things are real. And no. you know, it's easy to type something on Twitter, but where it gets to the stage where that many people are actually taking physical action and going on a march like that, that hasn't even been seen at Newcastle in those sort of numbers, has it? Or widely considered to be the most unhappy with the board. And I just find it confusing that, like you say, because it's not the first time, every time it comes out, it's like, ah, oh, it makes me really depressed. So what on earth are you talking about? What on earth are you talking about? <laughs> like, you are the one with all the cards in your hand and you can play them however you like. You've got the money, the decision-making power, the majority of the shares, which means that yeah, you, you can make all the decisions. You have all the cards in your hands. Every other club in the Premier League is, is going out. And he, he mentioned the, no, we're not, an Ast we're not a monarchy. We're not Qatar or Manchester City or whatever. Fine, fine, fine. Then as Trevor Sinclair recently said, surely it makes sense then to sell it to someone who is. If James, if I had promised you, and think of the world-class football in a world-class stadium statement here. Mm -hmm. If I had promised to do something for you, James, in return for something else with the best intentions in my heart and you'd held up your end of the bargain for me and I was trying my best, my very best, and after a while you were getting irate with me and saying, mate, I need that thing you've promised me and I had realised that I could no longer do it by a feeling of honour that I had to our original agreement because of my relationship with you as a bloke or as you'd hope, the relationship with the owners to the fans. But on the virtue of that honour, I would 
say to you, James, I'm really sorry. I can't provide that, but I'm going to do my best. And here is someone who can. So you are getting the bit that I promised you because although I might not be able to provide it, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. And it goes against everything. The whole of our society is built upon trading, isn't it? We mm. trade money for things every day, every day of our lives, be it for a coffee in the morning or for a mortgage or whatever it is. You go into Starbucks and you give them your £3.50 and ask for a latte and they say, yeah, no problem. If you wait five minutes for your latte, then you start going, well, where's it gone? If it's 15 minutes, you say, you promised me a latte 15 minutes ago. And then all of a sudden, you notice they haven't even bought the coffee machine to be able to make the latte. You'd start kicking off and going, hang on a minute, I want my money back. That's how the whole of society works on people giving and something and getting something in return. It was leave your spiritual home where you've all loved going for generations of your families have loved going. In return for that, the, the team on the pitch will no longer be... Uh, cruddy scrapping for relegation one everyone was kind of dragged into that agreement anyway whether or not fans were were willing to do it and willing to go into it with an open open eyes and an open mind is is that that's gone anyway i'm not certain that that fans did go into it with that and the situation we are now it baffles me the most baffling thing of all of it is that the owners are clearly in a position as they're they're openly saying now yeah we haven't got this money so but but surely you feel some sort of sense of guilt for the original promise and what you've done to fans and some sort of sense of responsibility to pass the club on to someone else who can. Because interviews like that, it's just insulting to people. I, I genuinely believe, I agree with that. Um, I genuinely believe that, I think David Sullivan still believes that he can deliver that promise. How, mate? Um, How? I, no, well, everyone knows that it's quite obvious what four or five years down the line that he's not going to be able to do that. Um, but I think I genuinely believe that he still believes that he can deliver that promise of a world-class team and a world-class stadium. Um, and I think, you know, the reality is that he, he can't and he won't. And Trevor Sinclair was right. And as you just said, with you know, with that great Starbucks analogy, um yeah, like it's time for him to accept that he can't deliver that promise. Uh, you know, I, I don't doubt his intentions were, you know, were right at the time, uh, and the board were, and the club's intentions at the time to get fans on 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 side for that move weren't right. Uh, I don't think it was it was just uh, it was like a it was a it was a stone cold lie. I, I don't believe it was a lie. Um, but they have to now accept that it's not going to happen under their stewardship. They're not going to be able to deliver that promise. And it is time to hand the club over to, to someone or a group of people that are able to, to give fans what was initially promised because um, they say they're fans themselves. Well, like, come on, like you then should know how we feel as a group of fans about what we've been promised and not been delivered. Um, but we'll, I'm, I'm sure more and more of that's going to come over the next the next year or two. But um, but yeah, I, I, I just don't know what else to say about it. And no, it's, we could no. go around in circles, couldn't we? Really? Yeah, you, know, I, you know what I think, mate. I, I just think it must be it must, to put yourself in his shoes for a bit. If you're in that position, you know he's got lots of money, and people sort of think, oh, because he's got lots of money, that stops your problems in your life or whatever. 
And from most people who've got lots of money will tell you that that's not true. Money and fame don't solve a lot of your problems. And it must be one of the most impossible admissions of failure to make. If you, if you make a failure in your, your business, your day-to-day -day business, whether you're in construction or like gold, and, uh, gold in with Ann Summers or whatever, if you make a business decision like that, and you don't sell as many pair of pairs of knickers that month or you don't build as many houses or whatever, then that sort of, even that, you, it's, people struggle, their egos will struggle to accept that. But if, if you are, you're a West Ham fan and you finally got to a stage in life through other means where you had enough money to buy your boyhood football club and be the one in control, it must be almost impossible to admit that you not only sort of cocked it up, but they're whether you agree that it's right or not, you have left the vast majority or a majority or a large part, let me refine that once more, a large percentage of the fan base who just resent you for what you've done and changing their lives. That must be an impossible thing. And I think even now, if they were just to go, look, we are so sorry, we have stuffed up. It was really impossible to admit it. We have, we're and we'll pass it on. We'll, we're sorry, we can't do anything else. We'll pass it on and we really hope that the future is going to be better. That's, that's what I would hope for. I did not expect to have this little uh, detour onto this topic, I'm afraid, lads, but obviously just a topic that we are all pretty passionate about um, on the, the ownership side of things. The transfer rumours, we'll, we'll cover that briefly next and a quick look ahead to Everton in the Carabao Cup. So that was a bit of a long-winded, emotional uh, detour, I think, from uh, for We Are West Ham. We plan to only touch on that David Sullivan interview briefly, but as ever, with me and the lads, these things mean a lot to us, and uh, it's easy to um, to to delve into these these topics a little bit more than we sometimes intend to. But uh, Tom, with the uh, one topic which we won't have to spend too much time on is the West, mm. the West Ham transfer segment. The, we've had some the usual amount of rumours of players ranging from players I have heard of, players I've never heard of, and players I've heard of but would not be at all excited about them coming to West Ham. Um, I know you've got a, a couple. I think Leicester have made a sign-in in the last few hours which could impact on us. Yes, well, mate, there's um, Wesley Fafana, the young lad from St Etienne, centre-half, who's a 19-year-old, very talented centre-half. It looks like Leicester have agreed a fee with them, with St Etienne, around £36 million and a bit in bonuses, which isn't too dissimilar to the deal we proposed um, at the back end of last week. But obviously, there's other, there's other things in play, but I guess it's also a show of where we are in the market and uh, how desirable they are for some players, because that one's gone through and and looks to have been wrapped up or is being wrapped up as we speak. Other than that, I've seen uh, Jonathan Tarr was linked with us. Um, he'd be a great signing, a loan to Thurmanent, the Bar Leverkusen centre-half, who's uh, got 10 caps for Germany, and he's only 24, really good age. Um, and apparently it's a loan to view we're looking at, but seems like any centre-half who's over six foot two in plays in Germany or Italy is on our, on our radar at the minute. So I think it's one of those weeks, lads, where <laughs> it's going to get down to the deadline and... Uh, as long as we got someone, we'll be happy. Yeah, well, I've got uh, Montpellier striker Gaetan Laborde. I've read that in uh, two or three different places. 
today that one again sort of very early stages mm. rumor nothing concrete apparently we've had a loan deal for chris smalling rejected because he wants to stick in italy next season uh, we're supposed to have opened talks with napoli for their defender nikola maximovic uh, center half i think and we're considering a bid for rangers captain and right back james tavernier i mean you know and I, unless he's kieran tierney level Anyone coming down from the SPL, <laughs> for me, I'd, I'd again, I've, I've never really been that buzzing about transfers. I've <laughs> about it once they've signed on the dotted line and holding their shirt up like this. Um, so it's hard for me to get excited in a normal transfer window when it looks like we're actually spending money in one of these. Um, mm. you know, I, I, I struggle to, to give much credence to any of these. Jonesy, uh, Joe Roden as well, uh, from Swansea, I think, some news about him. Yeah, Joe Roden at Swansea, he's um, got a lot of promise, um, quite highly rated down there, but um, also very injury prone, which kind of fits our our, uh, our transfer strategy, doesn't it, from, from years gone by. So, yeah, you never know. But you know, if he can stay fit, then that would be quite a good signing, I think. Um, James Tavernier, actually a good signing. I think he'd, he'd be quite a good signing for us. Um, if we can, if we can do that deal, but the others I don't know a great deal about. Um, never heard of Laborde, um, but yeah, I, I think we, we get judging by the names that we're linked with. It does feel as though we're beginning to scrape the barrel a little bit, um, getting a little bit desperate in these last six or seven days, and um, it's going to be an interesting uh, deadline day. I think. I think. I. I Although, you know, there's a lot of doubt over whether we will do any deals. I reckon deadline day, we'll probably see two or three new faces all on loan deals. Maybe a view mm-hmm. to buy like Suchek was. And if they can, it, they can come with um, the same quality as Suchek, then I wouldn't mind. But it does seem as though we're beginning to get a little bit desperate to scrape the barrel. I must admit, fair play to uh, Joe Roden as well at Swansea. Playing for Swansea and signing a £100 million podcast deal with Spotify. Recently, I've got a lot of time for that. <laughs> so I played to him. I uh, don't know how you manage playing football in Wales. We're still doing a podcast, uh, the most successful podcast in the world out in California. So I'm glad you got that one, Tom, because I was a little bit fearful that might go over both of your heads. Anyone listening at home, just Google Joe Rogan podcast and you know what I'm talking about. He's almost as big as we are West Ham, our £100 million deal with Spotify is in the offing any day now. I think Declan Rice is the only potential outgoing lads. I've just written snore off on the running order because it's just a load of usual stuff. It's just wait and see, isn't it? If Chelsea Mm. are going to come in with a big bid at the end of the window, then we wait and see how we get on, um, whether they will or not. It's just speculation. From our point of view now, I'm, I'm not particularly concerned it seems to me like he's certainly not playing like a man who's who's had his head turned I thought he was really good the other night against Wolves um, my feeling deep down is that we'll be able to hold on to him at least until January um, I don't know if you two feel the same Tom yeah I think I think he'll be here with all the noises coming out from the camp after the win on Sunday I've come out obviously he said he's not going to go anywhere and like you said he says look at him he, he looks like a player who still wants to be here and that his head's in the game here and I think Jacob Steinberg did a did an article today saying that there's no chance West Ham is saying that there's absolutely zero chance they'll be moved on this window and uh, I think Chelsea are starting to look elsewhere fingers crossed but 
yeah, his transfer window can change, but I'd be very, very surprised if he's still not there come the end of the week. Absolutely. Jones, uh, Everton away in the League Cup. By the time most people are listening to this podcast, that game will be tonight. That's Wednesday night, Goodison Park, quarter to eight. Kick-off, um, we've done all right. Well, we've done very well in the Cup so far. We can only beat what's in front of you, and we've done exactly that. Are you a little bit more concerned going up against Everton, or are you even worried about whether we go through or not? It's a tough fixture. I think you know a lot of people will wonder whether we can really whether we can really afford a cut run given the situation <laughs> in the league. But um, well, because it costs fifty grand a time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, literally afford <laughs> afford financially and afford it for 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 the like the fortunes on the pitch, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, perhaps <laughs> a little chip in. They'll go fund yeah. me or something. There, there, there was a fundraiser actually after David Sullivan um, mentioned that in his interview. There's a little fundraiser. <laughs> I think they got to a few hundred quid or something like that, and, and then people stopped chipping in. But I mean, fair play for him setting it up. But, um, get, get a minibus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a tough draw. I mean, Everton are, are flying at the moment. I'm, I'm sure they won't feel the. Uh, a, a full strength side given it looks like they're going all out for it in the Premier League didn't they Ancelotti and made some cracking signings in the summer um, Calvert-Lewin's on fire uh, James Rodriguez is just class um, so if they feel the weakened side then I reckon we, we might have half a chance um, but it's whether what side we, we field as well um, but I'm, I'm not really expecting us to go through I'd love to see us go through but I'd, I'd be very, very surprised. I think I'd be more surprised than I was on Sunday night against Wolves. Mm, yeah, well, David Sullivan was singing the virtues of the strength of uh, West Ham's squad, Tom, or the, the mm. certainly the fringe players as they are at the moment. Are you um, expected to see what may be considered our B team, if you like, um, mm. but our weaker team consists of about 180 million quid worth of talent at the moment, I think. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll, it'll be the same three up there. It'll be Anderson, Yarmolenko, Haller. That's pretty much a guarantee, I think. Lanzini will play. Noble is now outside, so he'll come into the League Cup side. And then you're going to have one of the young right-backs, whether that be Johnson or Ashby playing. And I think I think we'll field a decent side, but they were on TV last week and I saw the side they played against Fleetwood and it had Richarlison, it had Bernardo. They said a slightly stronger side than we did. And I think Ancelotti, we are in Europe, but I think they're very much on the hunt for a trophy quickly because they haven't won something in a long time either. And um, it seems like a pretty, uh, uh, one of those leagues and one of those periods in football where anyone can beat anyone and anybody is beating anyone. And I think both of us, if we get through, will actually fancy ourselves. So I'd love it. I'd, I'd honestly love us to play a few of the senior players, play, get, actually make a good fist of it. Because this is why we're fans going to cup finals. I know we won't be there, sorry, but, but watching a cup final, be involved in something. So I really, really do hope that uh, we go through, even though it's it's not what I'm expecting, sadly. I'm totally with you, Jonesy. I think, uh, yeah, hopefully we play a strong squad as well. So I, I'm with you. I think if we do that, be it, and bear in mind, it's early in the season as well. So players are still, uh, managers are still trying to get minutes in players' legs, aren't they? I know they're mm. moaning about the compact fixture schedule, but most teams didn't have a proper pre-season. So... I think, uh, yes, if we, if we see some strong players and we can get any sort of result um, and manage to get through to the next round, 
that will be fantastic. But huge game in the league for West Ham on Sunday. Beat Wolves, which no one expected to last weekend. And it's Leicester away, probably the most informed team in the Premier League. Top of the league, smashed five goals past Man City last week. And we've got Josh Jones, sports journalist from The Sun and big Leicester City fan, joining us to talk about that game next. So, all three of us hoping that West Ham go through in the Carabao Cup Wednesday night against Everton. A tough task, but certainly doable if West Ham carry on their recent form. One team who has been in fantastic form. In fact, the best form in the Premier League because they sit top at the moment are Leicester City thrashing Manchester City at the Etihad 5-2 at the weekend. And joining us, I'm delighted to say, to run through that Leicester game on Sunday at the King Power Lunchtime kickoff is Josh Jones, sports journalist from The Sun and big Leicester fan. JJ, lovely to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. What a result at the weekend, first of all. First time Pep Guardiola's conceded five, I think since he was about nine, playing under sixes or under tens, Sunday league football, whatever it was. What a result that was. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, gents. Oh, it was it was bonkers. We were, we were a little bit nervous going into it. It's... Man City away and we kind of had a little bit of a we've had two good results going into it but to the way we kind of set up first 20 minutes just sit in try and contain and good old Riyad Mahrez goes and scores his his first goal with his right foot I think ever and pings it in the top corner and we're thinking here we go then we sat in and, and actually got into the game played better than Rodri gave us credit for and uh, and when when I'm banged in five, helped by three penalties, of course. Penalties in in the time he's been, been unbelievable, really. I don't think a lot of people saw it coming. Is there a worry that maybe this season will be the season where he could be poached by one of the top six clubs, particularly like a United who look like they're struggling? Spurs are never far away from it. So, do you think it could be the year he moves on? Who was that? Sorry. Brendan Rodgers, do you think there's a Brendan, lot of the big clubs oh. will be looking at him this season? You've got so many talented people at Leicester, haven't you, JJ? It could have been anyone. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think with, with Brendan, I think he's done, he's been at, at the King Power, what, coming up to a year and a half, just about, I think it was February 2019, he came in. And the end of last season, well, the season before, I guess, now, was, was very much kind of finding his feet implementing this kind of new style where Leicester obviously won the league with that counter-attacking football that, mm. that, that worked wonders, against, especially against the big teams. And then learning to play, which was really Leicester's undoing, was trying to break down teams who were willing to sit back against them. So I think actually going away to a game like City where they could go and sit in and hit on the counter, but also play some good football in between that was, was amazing for, for, the, for everyone really. In terms of him moving on, I can, you, you can see Brendan, he's got big ambitions. He's an ambitious guy. He wants to win the Premier League. I don't think, he's, I don't think he'd make that, obviously he hasn't said it outrightly, but he's, he's an ambitious guy. He wants to win the Premier League. Will he do that at Leicester? Or has he got a better chance of doing that elsewhere? Let's be honest, he's probably got a better chance of doing that elsewhere. But I think he's got a really good group of players and a good, he's got a good backroom staff, a good board, a good owner. It's at the moment, which where is he going to go? If the two the two big big clubs 
don't look like they're going to be getting rid of their manager anytime soon. You wouldn't have thought if they can keep if Man City can keep Pep. Arsenal look like they've got Arteta for the long term. Do you look at a Spurs or a Man United? Possibly. Does he go back to Chelsea? It's it's got to be a worry, especially if if Leicester keep up such their good form this season. JJ, see, everyone knows about the, the the grievances that West Ham have with with the club's ownership. Um, but then, if you look at look over at Leicester, have had just an incredible, you know, five or six years under under your ownership, and and, it, and everyone thought you just sort of ended up tailing off after winning the league. Um, did for maybe sort of half a season, but then it seems to have sort of jumped back up again. Um, what is it that that they've done at Leicester, which has allowed that that continu- continuity and that consistency of you know attracting the likes of Brendan Rodgers, bringing in those players. Um, surely it's not down to just winning the league one season and then just living off of that reputation. What is it that they're doing at the club to to continue grow Leicester the way that they are and do mm. such a great job? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a great question. They, they've actually spent it's about ten years since the the King Power Group bought Leicester City from Milan Mandrich. They celebrated their 10 years earlier this year. And, and that goes right back from kind of being on the brink of administration through the championship, through that playoff, that playoff heartbreak against Watford, obviously, to then get into the Premier League mm-hmm. and then have the Nigel Pearson saga and then bringing in Claudio Ranieri, which a lot of people weren't agreeing with, to go onto the league, to then get rid of Ranieri, etc. And... But the, the club and obviously the late chairman, Vichai Shubhadadapaba, and his son, Top, these guys really care. They, they didn't just want to buy a football club and just throw loads of money at it and hope to get more cash out of it. These guys wanted to get involved in football. They wanted to, to kind of cultivate a, a team and, and make it their own. And, and whenever, especially when well, Vichai and Top, but now sadly only Top, whenever they're around the club, They've got such good personal relationships with everyone. They care so deeply. I remember even when I was kind of a kid, I'd be at the ground and you'd meet like very, very briefly, but you have a very brief interaction with one of them. And they're so friendly. They just love being around the club. And there's that genuine warmth of actually these guys are so respected. And these guys are like among the richest people from Thailand, among the richest in the world, let's be honest but very, very humble, very down to earth. And I think there's a lot of it of, okay, we don't, we're not football experts. So we're going to get the people in who know football who are going to make those kind of decisions as well. But we care about this club and we want it to, we want it to do well. Uh, and that's been re- absolutely crucial. That's got to be the, uh, that sounds like the absolute perfect mix that you want in an owner, doesn't it? The, perhaps especially the awareness that, um, that you might not know the best way to run a football club and leave that or hire some professionals who, who perhaps do or certainly a specialist in their field. Your recruitment is, always seems to uh, smash it out of the park. I can't think of, of too many, if any, bad signings you've made um, over the past three or four years or whatever. So, uh, yeah, sort of an envious position. We've saying the same thing about Wolves going into that game last weekend. JJ, we normally let people go and do this, uh, the Twitter poll segment um, without our opposition view guy on, but we'll leave you on it for now so we can wrap up this uh, segment. We, we put out a Twitter poll as we do every week to the We Are West Ham listeners on Twitter. That's We Are underscore West Ham. If you don't already follow us on Twitter, go and do that now and you can get involved every week. Jonesy, it was a simple one. This week, Sebastian Hilaire has been banging him in for fun in the Carabao Cup. You and Tom are quick to uh, 
party and take your shirts off and spin them around your head whenever he does that. Because, oh my God, how good is he? Um, you don't like it when I remind you that he's doing it against Championship or League One opposition. However, Mikel Antonio has been doing it in the league again, not in such hot goal-scoring form as he was at the end of last season, but still doing an excellent job in that one-up-front lone striker role. So we simply put it to the We Are West Ham listeners earlier today. Uh, Sebastian Haller or Antonio to start up front versus Leicester. Now, I, I was the one who put the poll out earlier today and within minutes... I seem to feel um, that I've perhaps made a mistake in not putting an option for both on there. I don't think that that is an option because of the style of play and the formation that we're going to play. It's just not that he's just not going to play both up front. But Jonesy, what were the uh, what were the final percentages um, and what do the We Are West Ham listeners want to see uh, for that up front or to take that striker's berth against Leicester on Sunday? That was a, a pretty. Uh, runaway winner, Michael Antonio with just over 61%. Uh, uh, yeah, I think everyone still wants to see Antonio start up front, uh, even though Hallis scored five goals already this season, uh, four more than Antonio. Um, but, you know, it's what it is. Um, but there's, <laughs> as you said, a lot of a lot of people have, have said both, um, Amir Narosi, both uh, at Across Hammer, both. Uh, Adam Nunn has said Haller up top, Antonio on the left, and Bowen on the right. Um, but you know, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I suppose Tom Toll can keep the wing back system and play both. Put Yamo in the number ten role, which is um, I'm not too sure about that one. But um, it does seem as though Antonio is the favourite, uh, just because he runs around a lot more. I think he's a little bit more mobile. Um, but Haller's the better finisher. He was on the pitch for what, two minutes against Wolves and already and already scored. You know, I can imagine what he could do in ninety. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm not biting on this one. I'm not biting on this one. Tom, um, we'll, we'll throw to you in a minute. JJ, just while we've still got you, what do you, what do you think, if, as a Leicester fan, who would you prefer to face? The We Are West Ham listeners there, 61% saying they prefer to see Mikel Antonio. To be quite honest, there's not going to be two up front. So those asking for who'd like to see both, I just don't think that's a realistic uh, situation, there is half a chance. James mentioned there, Haller has been putting him in in the League Cup against um, you know Reese Burke and other such defenders. But uh, who would you rather see as a Leicester fan lining up? I think, especially if we're going with a back two of of Evans and Sionchu, which I think is is likely. I'd rather see Haller. I think Sionchu up against Haller. I'd, I'd back Sionchu out of the two. I haven't watched loads of West Ham so far this season, but especially from from what I saw from from Sunday's highlights, it looked like Antonio was running the show. Personally, I, mean, I haven't seen the full game, but looked like he was he was really stretching the defence and really causing problems. And, and I, I think I'd rather see Sancho and Evans go up against a big man and go kind of head to head with him rather than having Antonio drawing us drawing them out and bringing the others into play. James Jones looks absolutely furious with that answer you've just given, JJ. Anyone who comes on and suggests that Sebastian Haller should not be in the team is not a popular man. What a battle, a battle of the JJs that would be. Tom, what are your thoughts briefly before we get uh, Josh's predictions for Sunday? What are your thoughts on the Haller-Antonio question, if it even is one? Sadly, I mean, I love Haller, I love him scoring goals, but it has to be Antonio. He's For me, he's been up best player since lockdown he's probably one of the 
Antonio is probably one of the best all-round strikers in the league at the minute. I go as far to say is what he does for our team and the way he carries us up the pitch. Back to goal striker I'm talking about. He, he's one of the most action men striker out there. He does everything. He runs all game. He's quick. He's strong. He bullied Connor Cody at the weekend. Like, absolutely destroyed him. Um, and I think that there's not many centre-halves out there who'd like to play against him. Uh, it was only last season Eric Dyer said he's the hardest striker he's played against in the Premier League. And I think He's starting to show it's it now. Style, isn't it? Yeah, but but it's, mate, it's a Premier League footballer saying hardest strike he's played in the Champions League. I think the big mobile, strong, starting to find goals and get him strikers' goals, not weird Antonio goals where they hit his shin or something, just actually in his job and having a bit of composure there. So Antonio all day. Excellent. JJ, just uh, before we let you go, let us know, how do, how do you think the game's going to play out on Sunday, uh, style-wise, and then give us a quick score prediction? I think we're, Leicester will go back to a four-man defence. Saw the back five against City, where we sat in, but this is a game where we know West Ham are going are to be more defensive than City, obviously, well on Sunday. So it's down to Leicester to take the game to West Ham. So I think it'll be back to the 4-1-4-1. Be interested to see who plays on the right of that four, um, whether it be Cengiz Under making his debut, whether it be Ayosi Perez comes back in. Um, James Madison looks like he could well start if Dennis Pratt's not fit. Um, and just looking back to last season at, at the King Power, I think Leicester won 4-1 um, with kind of Barnes and Ricardo and Perez got a couple towards the end. And uh, without trying to sound too biased, I, I, I'm fairly confident Leicester will win, I think. Uh, I'm going to go 3-0. I'm going to go 3-0 Leicester. 3-0. Well, we had a uh, Dan from the Wolves 77 podcast was on last week predicting a 2-0 win to Wolves and we ended up scoring double the amount of goals that he predicted to nil. So, fingers crossed for a 6-0 win. West Ham. Just quickly, lads, Jonesy, I'll throw to you first. Quick score prediction for Leicester on Sunday. Well, I'll keep the positivity just for your sake, Will. Um, I'm going to say a 2-1 win to West Ham. Hale Brace. Absolutely, yeah. Off the bench, 90 for 91st minute. <laughs> exactly. Thomas? 1-1. Uh, I think 1-1. I think we'll nick something. I think they'll yeah, be able to turn up arrogant. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, like, I like that thinking. Just on the positivity train, I'll go for a tool. Um, if I think there's, there will be goals in the game. Leicester are pretty scintillating at the moment but we seem to uh, somehow be able to find the back of the net especially against teams we're not expected to beat Josh Jones sports journalist from the Sun a big Leicester fan thanks so much for joining us and stay with us because we'll have name that game next So, Josh Jones, sports journalist and big Leicester City fan, predicting a 3-0 win for Leicester. Very confident, just as Dan from the Wolves 77 podcast was last week. West Ham obviously upset him. I did text the guys from the Wolves 77 and ask for Dan to be our guest on the Opposition View every time we play the Midlands side. We haven't had JJ on before. So, uh, yet to see what's going to happen on Sunday, a uh, lunchtime kickoff at the King Power Stadium. However, competition is hotting up over on the We Are West Ham name of that game league table as well. I am Quizmaster this week for the quiz that has replaced the Rogue Mystery Players quiz. 
Uh, I'll be picking the Quizmaster each week picks a West Ham match from history and the boys have got to guess uh, pieces of information about that game uh, in descending order. I will start uh, by giving an obscure piece of information about the game and then it's up to the boys to give me the scoreline, one opposition goal scorer, West Ham goal scorer, the stadium it was played in, the opponent and the season. It's a point for each one of those pieces of information the lads can give me. They can interrupt at any time. At the moment, James Jones is smashing it. Nine points uh, to my three and Tom Edwards is on two. I'm the quiz master this week, so no chance for me to get any points. James could extend his lead or Tom could make it a lot tighter and close that gap on Jonesy. So without further ado, I will start. Lads, fingers on the buzzers. The obscure fact or piece of information about this game is that West Ham went into this match off of the back of three consecutive 4-0 defeats. James Jones, for those of you not watching on YouTube, hands on the head but staying silent as ever. Tom's scratching his chin with a pencil. The scoreline, fact number two, oh. was 2-1. Mm. The next piece of information required, if you want to guess, boys, for the chance to win the first point, is an opposition goal scorer. No guesses from the boys. So, the opposition goal scorer was Roque Santa Cruz. Yeah. Thomas Edwards. So yeah. the next piece of information I need from you, Tom, is you need to give me uh, one of the West Ham goal scorers. Freddie Sears. That is correct. Tom Edwards, that is one point to you. James Jones, it throws over to you to give me the stadium. That's in part. That is correct. That is one all. James Jones gets the stadium correct. Tom Edwards, it throws to you for the opponent. Uh, Blackburn. That is correct. Tom Edwards makes it 2-1 with Blackburn. One piece of information required, James, to take it to a tiebreaker. James Jones, can you tell me what season the game I am talking about took place? I'm going to... James has thrust his head down towards the desk. 2009-10. James Jones to take it to a tiebreaker. That is incorrect. Tom Edwards, you have won for the evening. There will be no tiebreaker. Yeah. However, to make it 3-1 to you, Tom Edwards, can you give me the season in which this game took place? Is it 07-08? Tom Edwards, what a shout. He makes it 3-1 yeah. on the night. What a performance from Needed Tom. It. Total score for the season goes up to five points for Tom with that. 3-1. Jonesy, on the end of it for the first time. But Tom, great shout. I don't know if you were at that game or not. I vividly remember it. Class diving mm. header. Freddie Sears had a shot saved by Brad Friedel. And then he nodded home the rebound. The boy from Hornchurch. It never really happened for Freddie after that, but uh, it was a great moment for those of us at West Ham who love homegrown talent doing well. It was exactly that, mate. I remember it. It's one of those, for some reason, it's just stuck out so well. It's a good choice, uh, 
good choice from you. The moment he scored, he slid right in the corner of celebration. I think Brooking, where I sat, Trevor Brooking and a few of the old boys were actually in some of the boxes and it just felt like a proper uh, West Ham old school family day. And it, it was quality, mate. It really was. It was. We had a, a bit of a good record against Blackburn at that time. Jonesy, I'm not going to do the rugby joke this week because I feel like for those listening, and even for me as the one who keeps saying it, that has officially got old now. But were you at the game? I was there. I remember it very, very clearly because I remember turning to my brother, who then was probably only about 11 or 12, um, and going, remember this kid, mate, this kid's going to be a star. And... Um, <laughs> That's why I remember it so clearly because I ended up being very, very wrong. Um, but it was a great moment. Um, yeah, There's nothing like a, a, a an academy prospect coming off the bench and getting a winner in a game, particularly after having lost 4-0 three times consecutively beforehand. So, um, yeah, I remember it well. Um, I'm glad I just got the point on that one. Takes me up to double figures in the, in the, in the points. So, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yep, still works. So that's James on 10, Tom Edwards on five, and me floundering at the bottom with just three points. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame for Freddie, really, wasn't it? He, again, it was one of those dream moments. And you know what? Most of us listening to this podcast, most certainly the three of us recording it, you'd take that, wouldn't you? To score, cool yeah. part, to win a game once, and then have a reasonably okay footballing career since probably getting an average of five grand a week across all the contracts he's had bit of time at Ipswich bit of time at Colchester all right you know he might not have been the Premier League superstar that people were hoping he might be but when you're from Hornchurch a goal on your West Ham debut to to win the game it's, it's, it's that's all right isn't it it's certainly more than the vast majority of West Ham fans would get so I'd uh, I'd certainly take it. Jonesy, I thought you were going to turn to your brother and say, that could be you. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, I mean, he was he was like doing quite well at rugby at the same time as I was actually. So oh, God. He was, Ooh, um, he was pushing for a career in rugby, but enjoyed watching the football. Um, and it didn't work out for either in the end. So, um, yeah. In rugby or football? <laughs> exactly, no. <laughs> what is this, Jones? I, I will move on. But this, this rugby thing, it was a family pursuit, was it? Are you far less football than you've actually let on this whole time? No, I'm, a lot of my mates say this, um, but I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of both sports. I'm a big fan of sport in general, really. But I grew up playing rugby more than I did football, um, to to quite a decent standard, and rugby was a big part of my family. Um, mm. But I'm also a big football fan. You can like both sports. Incredible, I know. You can <laughs> enjoy and enjoy playing and watching both sports. Madness. No, I know, but those, those people, I mean, I've spent most of the last week with a mouthful of sand being smashed into the ocean floor whilst trying to stand up on a surfboard in, uh, in the ocean off of the Algarve. However, it just seems, even though it's a completely far-fetched notion that I would be a surfer to those people who know me, it still seems more fathomable or feasible than, than watching you <laughs> on, a, on a rugby pitch. <laughs> I was quite good back then. I was quite a good player. Yeah, I was and you were centre as well. Yeah, I was centre. Mm. Started out as a winger, but moved, moved inside to centre. Who was the best team you played for, in case anyone listening has heard of the team? Uh, I didn't play for, for anyone massive. I played for my local team, Woodford, um, which I'm sure some listeners would have, would have heard of. But played against, some, played against Saracens um, at youth level. 
Um, so yeah, no, but played against some some decent sides. Got to the Essex Cup final once. Lost yeah, that. Yeah, I think a few, um, few of the uh, few of my old mates from school used to play for South Woodham Ferrers, and they used to play Woodford. But I digress. Too much rugby chat for the We Are West Ham podcast. That's nearly it for this evening's show. It's been a long one by accident, I must admit, once again. But just one more segment to stay with us because we've got the We Are West Ham Women segment next. And we haven't got the We Are West Ham Women segment. I keep saying we're going to have the We Are West Ham Women segment because that's an idea that Tom came up with a few weeks ago. He wants us to do a women's version of this podcast. We've just got the West Ham Women segment next. You are still listening to the We Are West Ham podcast with me, Will Pugh, Tom Edwards and James Jones. And once again, it's been an absolutely packed show, the We Are West Ham podcast. A little longer this season than it was last with a couple of new segments, the Betway charity bets and of course the West Ham women's segment, which we wrap up the podcast with each week you've got all this far we've got all this far me james and tom uh, so stay with us just for this last little bit it's been a busy week for the women no uh, wsl action or no domestic women's football action they're all off on an international break at the moment playing qualifiers for next summer's euro 21 which is being held in england it was a busy week we ran through where all the west ham girls were off to last week and uh, yeah alicia layman scored the winner for switzerland against belgium in uh, their euro 20 one qualifier on Tuesday, which put Switzerland top of Group H. Good stuff for Alicia Jonesy, your uh, personal favourite player of the season. Czech Football of the Year, Katarina Svitkova. I think she she had a run out as well. Yeah, my favourite player in the squad. I mean, Czech Football of the Year, I mean, you can't get any better than that, can you? So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and she started both, both Czech Republic's games for us. Poland, uh, 0-0 and a 2-0 win. Uh, she did pick up a bit of a knock, but um, apparently she should be all right once the season restarts when she's back with the team. So, um, but yeah, decent, decent international run out for Katerina and Czech Republic. That's all you got hope for, isn't it? The uh, Matt Beard, the manager of the women's team, just hoping with all international breaks that they come back not um, with no injuries. Tom Kenza Darley, I don't think had much of a chance um, to pick up mm. an injury. She didn't. Didn't actually play two. I think she played half an hour across France's two games. Am I yeah, right? mate. Yeah, yeah. So they obviously France played twice, and she didn't feature in their first win in a two-nil win against Serbia. But uh, she did get a thirty-minute run out when they beat North Macedonia seven-nil, the mighty North Macedonia. Um, but mate, yeah, it's, it's probably good for the club that they, she's come back fit, um, and I'm sure she'll get another chance of France playing some good stuff at the minute. Exactly. Some uh, the one thing that did really impress me um, when I was looking, keeping up to date with all the girls' action this week was the 21-year-old Leanne Kiernan. She got a 20th Irish cap. I mean, they were unfortunate. They lost 3-0 away to Germany, which puts um, Ireland second in Group I behind the Germans. But 20 international caps at the age of 21 is uh, some impressive feat for Leanne and um, Molly and Rosie Kamita who came on the podcast last season are uh, good friends of Leanne from their time at West Ham and, and so she's a great girl as well and just congratulations while we're on the topic actually to Rosie Kamita who's come out of retirement and uh, is lining up 
for Championship side Watford. Now some great training shots of Rosie the other day. So we wish Rosie the best of luck and hope to speak to her again on the We Are West Ham podcast later on this season. Uh, two more, Grace Fisk and Rachel Daly were part of England's training camp at St George's Park. Uh, the Lionesses, Phil Neville's team had some training games. Obviously, England are already qualified for next summer's tournaments as they are hosts, but the girls got together anyway for a training camp. Lads, one uh, bit, bit of a busy international weekend, but one thing um, we, we, we've spoken before on the podcast, especially when it was a radio station before Jonesy, uh, we've done a couple of things on general mental health awareness. We're both big advocates of it, as I know, you are Tom as well, um, and you know we're encouraging obviously you earlier, Jonesy, encouraging people to check themselves for physical illnesses in line with um, the stuff you're doing this season for the Dylan Tombides Foundation. But important for everyone listening as well to you know check themselves mentally. It's uh, it's much more of a mainstream thing these days. We always hope that everyone listening has got someone to talk to. Um, and if they haven't, they can certainly certainly reach out to us here at the We Are West Ham pod at gmail.com. Uh, if ever there's problems, obviously talk to someone. However, the uh, Squad Goals uh, documentary is running on the BBC Three at the moment. It's available to watch through iPlayer. And it's an in-depth documentary on women's football. Um, West Ham obviously feature heavily in the documentary and a recent footage emerged this week from the documentary of captain we are west uh, sorry west ham women's captain jilly flaherty talking about her attempt to take her own life 10 years ago so we'll listen to that um you can listen to that clip here i'm bubbly do you know what i mean i'm outgoing I, i'm always smiling and always happy and that's how i am now but that wasn't how i was 11 years ago I remember being 16 and a coach telling me that I was fat, basically. I was living away from home. I wasn't close to my family at all. And then obviously I was dealing with the fact that I knew deep down that I was gay and I didn't know how to handle that. So there was a range of things that I was dealing with and, to be honest, completely honest, I didn't deal with them, really. Was there a point where things got really bad? Yeah, there was, there was a point when um, I made the decision that I was going to take an overdose um, at 17. And, yes, yeah, sorry. Don't apologise. At all. It's all, it's a huge thing that you're talking about. <laughs> I should have spoke to my mum and dad, do you know what I mean? And I remember going to the hospital and my mum and dad coming in and crying. The reason for me doing it was because I just couldn't cope. I didn't know, I didn't know how to handle it. And I just thought, do you know what, I'm just better off not being here. How surprised do you think your teammates, friends and family will be to realise what you went through? Yeah, I think they'll be shocked. This is why I felt like I had to say it, because it's the people that you least expect it from. Even if someone's got everything going on in their life, doesn't mean they're not going through a tough time. But you have to talk. If I can get myself out and save myself, then anybody can. So moving stuff there from Jilly, obviously great to hear that um, sort of 10 years on from, from that harrowing tough time, in her life that, uh, that things are, are certainly looking up for her. But the obviously the coach calling her fat, uh, something that, that obviously affected her. And then problems that you just, just basically, she admitted it there, just wasn't able to cope. And her mum and dad coming in, seeing her like that in the hospital, um, you know, just really struggling and wishing she'd reached out to someone. First of all, James, I'll throw to you. I mean, 
how brave is that from Jilly? She's obviously got an elevated platform. She's a leader on the pitch, really vocal and is, is a popular figure amongst the uh, in the dressing room at West Ham. But as we're always, or, we, or I certainly, you know, we, we like to try and remind people listening that although we care about West Ham, we want them to win every week and we're, we're passionate about what's going on at the club at whatever level on the pitch or or in the boardroom, it is just football and the, the important thing in life is the people around you. Um, and, you know, what, what a brave thing for Julie to do there, Jonesy, and something that sort of transcends football, doesn't it? No, it's incredibly brave. And, you know, I think, as, as you mentioned before, we've spoken about this on on the show uh, previously about, <coughs> sorry, about how important it is to, you know, just take a step back and, uh, and just think uh, if, if you speak to someone uh, it's, it makes things a lot easier and you know she's managed to, to to overcome a lot of the issues that she had in the past and and just full credit to her and you know to, to come out and actually tell her story and and hopefully um, that gives other people the the inspiration and the ability to to be able to talk to her people and and, and overcome their battles and their problems that they're fighting with because people need to need to know that you know they're never alone and you know whatever's going on in their head you know if you can speak to someone it goes a long way in, in helping and um you know she's earned a lot of respect from from everyone not just at the football club but fans and, and neutrals and and everyone and she as you said she's got that platform and she's used it in the right way and um i think if she can help at least one person overcome their their battles and, and and their issues then you know it, it's a job well done really and um, yeah full credit to her so much respect uh, it can you're right and it can be a bit of a cliche can't it that statement there james are oh, if she's helped just one person it can but be but it's true though isn't it no, no that you're yeah. right that's what i was going to say ultimately in the, in this day and age we're, we're lucky to live in an age now where mental health and things like that are spoken about so much more freely and ultimately now there will be lots of people listening to this who've heard that message time and time again. And it's brilliant that that it is repeated so often. And the fact that some people might be getting bored of it because, you know, they don't feel like they need to, or they might've done in the past and got over it. Um, that, that message, certainly Jilly coming out saying like that now might reach someone who hasn't quite felt strong enough to be able to go and do that or to reach out to someone, either a, a family member or a professional um, you know, both things are massively important. But yeah, an, an important message um, to give out from from Jilly's point of view, Tom. And I think that especially if someone with mm. with her her profile as well, you know, the scenes there of, of the rest of the squad watching the footage, they were obviously moved by it, uh, someone they all look up to on and off the pitch, no doubt. But with something like that, it's, uh, it's important. Um, and it's a great thing that she's done, isn't it? Absolutely, mate. And I think with uh, lockdown, mental health really came to the fore for a lot of people. And having something like that, an inspirational figure, one of the really successful, most successful women in uh, in the WSL, she's won everything and, and the real leader probably in the division as, as a personality and as a person. And it's just amazing that she's she's had the courage to come out and let people in and see her story and, and help a few people out by by bearing her, bearing her heart to everyone. And, and she's, it's really impressive and nothing but respect. And I think the football community reacted with nothing but respect. And I hope it's done her the world of good, that being out and seeing the reaction to that and seeing how much people are behind her. And also for the people watching who, who are in a similar position but don't feel like 
but feel like they're on their own because there's people out there, like you said earlier, rich, famous, poor, whatever. There's a lot of people struggling and uh, seeing someone like that who, who's widely respected come out and, and show their problems and show that it's, it's something which affects us all is, is massively important and, and good on her because it, it's a really inspirational thing she's done and uh, I, I really recommend everyone going out and watching it. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, just a couple of things to note there. If there is anyone, uh, you know, struggling listening to this, do drop us a line at wearewesthampod at gmail.com. Me and the lads always pick those up and uh, always happy to have a chat or uh, lead you in the right direction if that's something you want to do. Just thanks to um, West Ham, that audio made available from the the West Ham Women Twitter and BBC Three just is where that... That audio you just heard from Jilly, so thanks to those for listening to that. What a show, lads. Um, absolutely brilliant. Packed one already. Lovely doing it when West Ham have won a game, isn't it? Um, remember, just a little bit of, of housekeeping before we go. That fancy football league available for you to join if you want to do that. The code is on our Twitter page at we are underscore West Ham. If you don't already follow us on there, go and do that now. The code is all lowercase, CNY6, the letter O, U. Uh, Hundreds of people signed up already, so do come and join. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, uh, like I just said, at we are underscore West Ham. Follow us on Instagram as well. Uh, What we do like, we say every week, uh, is if you can give us a review, five stars and a written review is lovely on all of the platforms on which you currently listen or watch We Are West Ham. Like, rate, subscribe, whatever it is. Uh, We appreciate all of those. And of course, go over and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll have seen me in my Larry shirt this evening from Portugal. James in his DT38 Dylan Tombidi's merch and Tom Edwards rocking that street man chain like nobody else can. So the podcast, the YouTube description is in the link, is in the YouTube link even is in the description to this podcast so do go down there and follow it big week big few days coming up for West Ham Everton away in the Carabao Cup and Leicester away in the Premier League on Sunday let's hope for another repeat of the 4-0 against Wolves we can't guarantee it but one thing we know where West Ham are concerned there will be goals and there will be drama keep the faith everyone up the hammers and we'll see you next week